chapter 11, verses 37 through 54 in this lunchtime conversation. And out of reverence for God's Word, I want to invite you, if you're able, to stand together. Uh, we stand out of reverence because this is the Holy Word of God, and this is what God's Word says. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within. And behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, you tithe, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you. For you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you. For you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, also, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. So he went away from there. The scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. If you would pray with me. Father, as we consider this passage before us, a passage that deals with the hypocrisy of those in Jesus' day, help us, Lord, to see the hypocrisy in our own hearts. It is easy to point the finger at others and point it out there, but Lord, help us to look inward today and to see if our hearts truly belong to Christ our Lord. We pray, God, that you would shine the light in the darkness. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see the light of the gospel of Jesus today and to respond in repentance and faith. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Recently, uh, 
my daughter Caroline and I were out at a store and we saw something that you have likely already seen. It was a, a large Christmas display. This store had in the front of it uh, an enormous tree and underneath that tree were all these uh, very elaborately wrapped gifts, uh, rather large gifts, and they were in you know beautiful shiny paper and uh, elaborate ribbons and bows and and just you know what you would picture on a Christmas card or picture in the the backdrop of a Christmas special and and you've all seen things like this these Christmas displays these well wrapped gifts, but imagine you were to take one of these gifts from that store with permission and take it home and put it underneath your Christmas tree. And imagine you were to put someone's name on it, a child, a grandchild, a parent, a brother, or a sister, and, and imagine it's Christmas morning, and they, they come in the door, or come down the stairs, and they, they see that elaborate, well-wrapped gift, well-decorated, probably larger than any other gift under the tree, and imagine the look on their face when they open that gift to find it is an empty box. <laughs> We see these elaborate displays that on the outside give the appearance of something great, but on the inside they are empty and void. And as we see that, it's a reminder to us of what Jesus experienced during his ministry. Because he would encounter those who on the outside, they, they had all the external appearance of religion and of devoutness and of piety and of a devotion to God, but but inwardly, Jesus said, there was an emptiness there. He dealt with empty religion. Now, when I say empty religion, I don't mean that all religion is empty because God's Word tells us about true religion and what true religion looks like. And we are called to true and genuine religion. But those that Jesus is dealing with in this passage had an empty religion. And it come, becomes very clear as Jesus comes to dine with them, to have lunch with them. And so it's fitting for us today as we look to this passage to consider in our own lives whether ours is a true religion or an empty religion. And Jesus clearly gives us some indications that can help us, and we're going to walk through those now and these observations I've put before you in your bulletin. The first one is this. An empty religion focuses on external conformity. An empty religion focuses on external conformity. And this becomes clear as Jesus speaks to these Pharisees. Now, the, the context is this. Uh, Luke tells us while Jesus was speaking. So remember, Jesus had just gotten done talking about that they're not going to receive a sign other than the sign of Jonah. He's talked about the judgment that's coming against those who refuse to repent. He talks to them about the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, who came a, a great distance, we read in the Old Testament, to hear the wisdom of God through Solomon. And now the wisdom of God is in front of them, and they're refusing it. He has given a very strong rebuke to the Pharisees and to the scribes. And now one of those Pharisees is inviting him over for lunch. <laughs> and we know from the context that it's not just Jesus he invites, he invites others too. Principally, what we see in this passage are Pharisees, and lawyers. And we've already made this distinction, but again, just as a reminder, when we're talking about lawyers in the New Testament, we're not talking about the exact same profession in our world today. These were professionals, 
but they were professional interpreters of the law of God, of the Mosaic law. And so you had the, the Pharisees, also experts in the law, who were religious leaders. You had the lawyers, who were also known as scribes. They use those words interchangeably. And these scribes, these lawyers, were experts in the law professionally. Uh, they were transcribers of the law. They would make copies of the law, and they would go to great length to preserve the law of God. Uh, but along the way, in order to make sure people were properly adhering to the law of God, they had come up with all types of interpretations and stipulations. And we can still read those today. They're preserved in a book called the Mishnah. Uh, the Mishnah is a, a collection of all these teachings from rabbis that the Pharisees and the scribes would use as to enforce the law and make sure people were adhering to the law. So God's word says to honor the Sabbath, to keep it holy. And then in the Mishnah, you can read literally hundreds of stipulations as to how one then would keep the Sabbath holy. Now, the problem here was this interpretation that was written down and preserved beginning some 500 years before the account we're reading today. This had become elevated, even at times above the word of God. And strict adherence to it was expected. And we can see then how this plays out in this passage. Because as Jesus comes to eat with this Pharisee and with these scribes and with these other Pharisees, the very first thing we note in verse 38 is the Pharisee who invited him was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Now, kids, if you hear nothing else from me, hear this. Wash before dinner. In fact, wash right after church and wash 50 times a day and, and wash because we know of germs and bacteria and all these things that we carry around. And so, you know, greet each other with a holy handshake and then go wash your hands. That's what you need to do. But you need to understand the context here. The discovery of germs and bacteria won't come for some 1,500 years after this account you're reading. And what's taking place here is not the Pharisees uh, being the health department and saying, you know, having the sign on the door, you know, wash before you eat. That, that's not the issue here. The issue here is that the Pharisees had strict rules about cleanliness. And the Pharisees saw themselves as very pious and righteous. And they demanded, they, they demanded of one another that they be clean among an unclean people. And so when they would come together to dine, one of the issues they had to deal with is they had just interacted with all these unclean people out there. And again, not germs, not bacteria. They're looking at this as righteousness. And so they had a ceremonial process they would go through to indicate ceremonial cleaning. And this would involve the cleansing of the hands. But not simply going to a sink and washing with soap and water. They had multiple basins and all types of stipulations. This was a, a, a ceremony they would go through to show that they were then clean. You can today look up on the internet, the Mishnah, and you can go through and read in the Mishnah page after page after page after page of what this ceremony cleansing looked like. But I will spare you that and give you just one paragraph of stipulations. This is regarding a first water and a second water, a first basin and a second basin. And this is what they were to do before they ate. If he poured the first water over the hands as far as the joint, meaning the wrist, and poured the second water over the hands beyond the joint, and the latter flowed back to the hands, the hands are clean. 
But if he poured the first and the second water over the hands beyond the joint and they flowed back to the hands, the hands remain unclean. And if he poured the first water over one of his hands and then changed his mind and poured the second water over both his hands, they are unclean. But if he had poured the first water over both his hands and then changed his mind and poured the second water over one of his hands, then one hand becomes clean. And if he poured water over one of his hands, rubbed it on the other hand, it remains unclean. And if he rubbed it on his head or on the wall, it is clean. Now you can imagine then what this scene would look like. As these Pharisees are coming in to dine, they're not just stopping off at the sink. This is ceremonial, and they are watching one another, and they are judging one another. And you may have heard that. I have read this paragraph no less than a dozen times, and I'm still confused about what it means to have clean hands and unclean hands, which, ironically, the very next passage in the Mishnah has to do with, and if you are confused about these things, here's how you need to understand. And I read that, and I still didn't understand you can see how there would be great confusion about these things, as well as this, uh, this pious adherence to it as to who was clean and who was not. And so imagine the scene here. Uh, this Pharisee invites Jesus to come over and to dine. He invites others to come in and dine. That The Greek language here indicates this was a, a lunchtime meal. This is during the daytime. It's broad daylight. They're coming in. They're all going, you know, well, make sure you do the first. No, wait, that came beyond the joint. Oh, you didn't get both hands. Wait, he touched his head. Well, no, you can touch your head and going back and forth. And Jesus bypasses the whole thing. And he goes and he reclines at the table. And Luke doesn't indicate that anything was necessarily said out loud. He just says that the Pharisee who invited him is astonished. And that doesn't mean he's marveling and amazed. He is shocked and dumbfounded. He can't believe what he has seen. Because Jesus did not go through this ceremonial cleansing that everyone else had. And without needing to hear one of these thoughts uttered in a word, Jesus knows their thoughts. And then he rebukes them for these thoughts and speaks to them. Verses 39 through 42, Jesus confronts the Pharisees on their preoccupation with the external and their lack of concern for the internal. And so first he uses the picture here of cleansing the outside of a cup and a plate, but ignoring the inside. And so imagine it this way. You're going to go out for a fancy lunch today. You're going to go up to Louisville. You're going to get on the app. You're going, to, you're going to pick your time to be at Texas Roadhouse. You're going to go into Texas Roadhouse. You're going to smell those rolls as you walk in. And you sit down at your table, and, and here come the rolls. Today, they're not in a basket. They're in a, a beautifully elaborate, ornate bowl. And this thing is sparkling. It's got crystals in it, and the lights are hitting it, and it's just, it's glorious, and the rolls are coming, and you're hungry. The preacher was long. You had to drive 45 minutes. You're ready for these rolls. They sit down, this, just this beautiful bowl in front of you, and then you look inside, and it's disgusting. I mean, there's rolls in there that are half-eaten. There's stuff that's probably sitting in there for weeks. There's mold growing inside the bowl. Jesus is saying that that's what it's like when externally you are ornate in your religion. You, you are showing off your religious deeds. You, you are demanding that people see you as the, the great adherent to religion, and yet on the inside, he says, 
You're not full of this religion. He says to them on the inside, they are empty. They are full, filled with greed and with wickedness. And then he continues. He, he talks about their tithing, process, uh, their tithing practices. Now, tithing is commanded in the law of God. God's people were required to return to him a, a tenth of all they had, a, a tenth of the grain is usually what we see stipulated in the Old Testament, a, a tenth of their produce, a tenth of their harvest. However, God's law did not require a, a tenth of every single thing. It did not require a tenth of every herb in the garden. In fact, the Mishnah, where these religious leaders hundreds of years ago sat down and debated these very things and debated, well, what do we need to give a tenth of and what do we not need to give a tenth of and, and, and how can we, we show our piety? They actually stipulated an exemption in the Mishnah for these very herbs, for rue and these other herbs that are mentioned. And they said, you, you don't need to give a tenth of these things. And yet, what does Jesus say here? Hey, he says that these Pharisees were so intent on their, their religious adherence, that they would go through their garden and they would take the smallest of herbs in their garden and they would count it out and they would make sure others knew they counted it out and they would tithe off those things. And what we know from other passages, they would do this in a way where it was apparent to others. But Jesus says this was not in a pursuit of holiness. <laughs> and this was not an attempt to have great faith. He says that in doing this, they, they looked at this minute thing that wasn't even required by the law. They adhered to it, and yet they ignored and neglected these major things. They completely turned their back on who the character of God is. That they completely ignored the love of God and what God's Word taught about it and how they might show that love to others. They completely ignored issues of justice and these major things that the law is very clear on, that we need not the missioner or any other interpretations, but we can see clearly in God's Word what He requires of us. When it comes to honesty, integrity, the law, justice, goodness, mercy, grace, they ignored these things. They would just go through their empty rituals. <laughs> Jesus is calling them out and saying what, what, what is astonishing here is how you, the keepers of the law, how you, the transcribers of the law, how you've completely missed the heart of the law. He says this empty religion is, is seen very clearly in this way. He also says, the second observation I'll put here for you, that an empty religion feeds off of the recognition of others and our reputation before others. And if your religion feeds off of this recognition and reputation. And so moving on, he says in verse 43, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. And he says that their, their practice of ritual cleansing wasn't the only issue here. They, they love to be seen by others, not just in the home when they're washing their hands, but when they're out there in public and they're interacting with the people. Now, just, just a note here, and we, we covered this ground already. Uh, this is not the only time that Jesus says, woe to you, to the Pharisees and the scribes. We covered this when we went to uh, Luke chapter 6, and we saw the Beatitudes, and then we saw how Jesus then, uh, in addition to the Beatitudes, he gave those woes. 
When we think of woe, we probably think this is some type of harsh rebuke, but the, the, the word, the language here is one more of sorrow and lament. And so Jesus, in, in looking at these Pharisees, he's not just in this moment saying, you know, how dare you? He's just saying how terrible. How tragic. That there's, there's pity here. Because he's looking at these men who are so ornate on the outside, but, but Jesus sees what we cannot see. He sees the heart. And he knows that inside their, their hearts have not received the light of the gospel. That they, they, Their hearts, as he's already said, that they're full of wickedness and corruption. And Jesus looks at them and he pities them. How terrible, how tragic. Because again, that religion is not bad. I mean, James says, True religion, it's pure and it's undefiled before God. We are called to a true religion, a faithful religion. But they had completely missed this. And he says that's indicated here by their love for the best seat in the synagogue. We've seen already Jesus teaching in the synagogue, those scenes where you know Jesus would stand and he would sit. The synagogue was arranged in such a way that the teaching was central and there were seats right up near the front, and, and those who consider themselves to be the most holy, the most righteous, those who wanted to be seen before others, that they would sit in the front. We don't have that problem at Boonville Baptist Church. But this is what they would do. And they would do it in a way that they, they wanted to be seen by others. They, they, they saw it as a way of being recognized. They saw it as a way as being considered the most religious people there at that gathering. Everybody who came in would see them because they were the ones sitting at the front and they loved this. They lived for this. That they wanted this recognition. It's not that they wanted to be closest to the person reading the word or they wanted to hear the best. They just wanted to be seen by others. And not just that. He said that they, they loved their greetings in the marketplace. And what he means by this is that in the marketplace, the way that people would treat these religious leaders, it's not that they would just, you know, wave, you know, hey, Zachariah, how are you doing? No, they had very elaborate greetings for them. Oh, you know, Rabbi Zachariah, glorious teacher of the Torah, keeper of the proverb, son of Amos, son of Bartholomew. And they would go on and on and on, casting these elaborate greetings, and it just would puff these Pharisees up, and they live for this, and they love this. In John's gospel, we read that the Pharisees love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus looks to them and he says, how sad is this? How pitiful is this? That these men who should be leading others in the right praise of God, who should be leading others in true religion. They become so misguided that they care nothing for the glory of God, they care everything for the glory of themselves. And Jesus says this is a picture of empty religion. It feeds off recognition and reputation. And then third observation we see here is that empty religion leaves us with great burdens and little hope. Jesus says these, these Pharisees they're like unmarked graves that people walk over. 
Now, again, you, you may think of this in a sense of you, know, you go to the cemetery and perhaps you, you went this weekend and, and you laid flowers on a veteran's grave or you put a, a flag on a veteran's grave. And, and I would imagine for most of us, when we go to the cemetery, we're, we're careful about where we walk. And there's an issue of, of courtesy and respect. You, you don't just walk over someone's grave. You kind of navigate the way in between them. And this, this is an act of, of reverence. This is an act of, of respect. What Jesus, though, is speaking of here is that there were many times graves that were either unmarked or they were marked, but that marking would become easily covered up. And so we know uh, from history that oftentimes when there's going to be a large festival in the area, they would actually go in and they would whitewash, they would white paint over those graves so that they would be easily seen because in this Jewish community, for you to walk over someone's grave. This wasn't so much disrespect or dishonoring. This made you unclean. And so one of these stipulations that we have is that if you were to walk on the grave of someone, that then made you ceremonially unclean. But notice what Jesus says here. He says it is the Pharisees who were like the unmarked graves that people that walk over, meaning that the person who accidentally walks over the unmarked grave, they weren't doing it intentionally. They didn't mean to, but now suddenly they find themselves in a situation where they're unclean. And Jesus is saying, this is the very way in which the Pharisees are leading the people, that they are the source of making people unclean. They are demanding that the people adhere to this strict outward religion, but on the inside, these people are lost. And they are becoming more lost, and their hearts are becoming more darkened. And he is pointing the finger here at these Pharisees for leading them in that way. Now, as he's doing this, we see in verse 45 that these scribes and lawyers are getting uncomfortable. <laughs> because up to this point, his woes have been to the Pharisees. So you can imagine the scene here. They're, they're reclined at the table. And at this point, Jesus is essentially roasting the Pharisees. He's come after the Pharisees. He's calling out the Pharisees. These scribes and lawyers saw themselves as, as separate, although related in a lot of ways, separate from the Pharisees. But then he starts to say things that are offending them as well. And so perhaps you've got these two lawyers on the end of the table, and they start talking to one another. And they start saying, wait a second, that's, that, surely he doesn't know what he's saying here about us. No. I mean, the Pharisees, they're, they're greedy, and they're corrupt, but we're, we're, we're the true keepers of the law. And so one of them stands and says to Jesus, Rabbi, you, hold it, you, obviously you, you made a mistake here. Me, me and my partner, Mr. Levin, we have the most respected and regarded law practice in town. We, we have in our law practice one of the oldest and, and most well-preserved scrolls of Isaiah. And we go to great, great detail in transcribing and writing down and copying the scroll of Isaiah. And, and no one is more particular about this than we are. In fact, we, we so revere Isaiah that we have built a monument in our town to the prophet, to the great prophet of God, Isaiah. We have a scroll. We, we have built a monument to him. Surely you aren't talking about us when you are talking about them. And Jesus says, yes, I'm talking about them. <laughs> I mean, you can see in the language there, verse 45, one of them says, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he says, woe to you also. 
He calls him out as well. And then as he calls him out, he's calling him out for this very thing, that they are loading up the people with burdens and offering them no relief from those burdens. Because the lawyers as well, they, they, they adhered to the writings in the Mishnah and they enforced this strict interpretation. So again, for example, the, the law of God says, honor the Sabbath and keep the Sabbath holy. And so they would write page after page after page after page, again, just to give you a brief example from that. According to the Mishnah, to carry something on the Sabbath was to carry a burden. They would refer to it as a burden if you were to carry a weight, but obviously at times you needed to carry something somewhere, so they had these little stipulations. A man, according to the Mishnah, may not carry an object in his right hand or his left hand or on his shoulder. However, he may carry it on the back of his hand, not sure how you do that, or with his foot, or with his mouth, or with his elbow, or in his ear, or in his hair, or in his wallet carried downwards between his wallet and his shirt, or in the hem of his shirt, or in his shoe or his sandal. It goes on and on and on. And so again, you can imagine the burden of trying to figure out how am I going to get this over there? I got to balance it on the back of my hand. I wish I could just carry it. But they would give burden after burden, interpretation after interpretation. And all they were doing was weighing the people down. And they offered them no hope of relief. In fact, what Jesus says here is that you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Because what the scribes also were known to do is they knew where the loopholes were. They knew how to arrange things in such a way so that they could say, well, you know, I just had it on the back of my hand. But to do it in such a way that they could get away with things that they wouldn't allow anybody else to get away with. And in doing this, they're just, they're heaping burdens on people and giving them no hope of relief. And this too is what empty religion does. And then one other observation, number four, an empty religion deceives us and those we seek to lead. And Jesus concludes this lunchtime lesson by reiterating how deceived these men truly were. And so now he points to these monuments. <laughs> he points out to these tombs that were elaborate that they would make in honor of these prophets who were martyred. But notice what Jesus says here. He says, in building these tombs, in building these monuments, they are continuing on in the murderous activities of their ancestors. And he's saying, yes, your fathers are the ones who killed Isaiah. Your ancestors are the ones who martyred the prophets. And in building these tombs, you are not redeeming yourselves. He's basically saying that that they, in essence, are standing there saying, well, we never would have done that. Were the man of God speaking the word of God before us today, we would accept it and we would receive it, and there's no way that we would do what these misguided ancestors did. And yet, what are they about to do? The man of God speaking the word of God, the son of God, God in flesh is standing before them. 
And the way this meal will conclude is with further conversation between them of how they can trick him and trap him and bring a charge against him so that ultimately they might kill him as well. Jesus says to them, they are deceived. He says, woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. You keepers of the law, you you who know what Isaiah has said, not only have you missed it entirely, you are ensuring others miss it as well. Because rather than going to the heart of the issue, rather than shining light in the darkness, you are keeping people in further darkness. Again, the illustration he had just given that we looked at last week. You take the lamp, you light it, you put it on a lampstand, you cover it with a basket. Nobody sees the light. You, You take the lamp, that's intended to shine in the darkness, to expose the darkness, and you put it in the basement. It does no good to those who enter the home. This is what they had done to the light of the gospel. In essence, Jesus is saying to them, you have elaborate, well-wrapped, empty boxes because your hearts are empty. And friends, this is a warning for us today as well. Because now, some 2,000 years later, we can walk into this and other churches on a Sunday morning, and we can open up the Word of God, and our hearts can be just as empty as these Pharisees that Jesus was confronting. If we have not indeed responded to the light of the gospel of our Lord Jesus, it is easy to put on the external. It is a whole other thing to have our hearts transformed by the living Christ. But that is what God has called us to do, to recognize the inward, to recognize the emptiness, to recognize that we indeed are sinners and that we indeed are deserving of God's wrath on us for our sin, that God has demonstrated his love for us, that he doesn't just set us aside in our empty box, but he shines the light of the gospel on us. He demonstrates his love toward us Romans 5 8, and that while we were still sinners, filled with our darkness and emptiness, Jesus Christ died for us. And he tells us if we will confess Christ as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, the light will come in. The darkness will be exposed. We will be empty no longer. Our hearts can be filled with the living Christ and we can live our lives in service to him. Looking on the outside, it might not look any different from where I'm standing today. But you know what's on the inside. And God is calling you and I not only to acknowledge what is there or not there, but to respond to the hope of the gospel that he puts before us today. And that is the invitation for us now. So I want to invite you to stand together as I pray for us and as we respond to God's word.